Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Okay, well, back to the phone lines. Uh, Rita's up first. Good morning, Rita. Good morning, Bob. How are you this morning? I'm great this morning. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Good. I've got a couple of questions. Just a minute. I get on the phone. I have to cough. (laughs) I get on the air. I have to cough sometimes, but I've got a button to push. Um, We've got... Well, we're up kind of on a hill because mm-hmm. we're a little north of Bernie. Okay. You understand the terrain out Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Um, we've got these three pretty good-sized oak trees. Mm-hmm. And the one in the middle, I, I noticed this a couple of years ago, and maybe I just never noticed it before. It loses its leaves earlier than the other. Mm-hmm. And it's not the same green. Is there – do we need to be concerned about that? Well – I would be a little concerned. It does not sound like a disease. It sounds more like stress of some sort. How close are these to your home? How close are these to uh, any area that any building work has ever been done? Oh, no, they're down. Well, we call it the goat pen. We had Uh dairy goats at one time, and they're down, you know, they're down in the pen. They're not... No, the big the big one is in the yard, but it looks okay. Okay, <laughs> and there has well, been you know, around you, it, you need to. The most common place I see this is where that trunk has been buried, either naturally or you know somebody leveling the land, uh, bringing in fill. You need to look at that tree and be absolutely certain that the root flare is a hundred percent exposed. You want to see big roots right on the surface of the ground. And that is the single most common reason that I see one tree not doing nearly as well as the ones close to it. Okay, um, so, oh, go ahead. The other thing is if any weed killers have ever been used, uh, broadleaf weed killers, or if um, there's anything in, you know, or was anything in any of the products you were using back when you had goats in the pen, uh, there can be things that would be affecting this tree more because perhaps more of its roots are over in that area. But uh, but the persistent herbicides and the getting the trunk buried are the two most common reasons for that. Now, if otherwise the tree seems healthy, there is a lot of individual variation in the genetics of oak trees. I know when I wander around my ranch, some of them seem to come out a lot faster than other ones do, which is pretty natural but if they seem unhealthy or weak for any reason i'd be looking at root flare i'd be looking at uh you know anything that that could be damaging the root system mm-hmm. if if there was ever any insecticides or anything i don't know and we've had the place over 40 years oh yeah no we never did well check that root you know. flare then otherwise it's probably nothing to worry about yeah so the water can't because there is a drain you know i know water runs through there so it can cover the roots naturally. Yes, it does happen. Yes. Okay. Okay. Now, I have two Christmas cactus. I've had them uh, about five, six years. Got them. You know, they weren't, I guess, probably six-inch pots. Is that the normal? Okay. I don't know. They're huge. Uh-huh. Do I need to repot them? And how? Are they doing well? Oh, they're beautiful. Then don't repot them. 
Um, realize that in nature, this tree would not, or this plant would not be growing in a pot and it would not be growing in the ground. Uh, Christmas cacti are epiphytic cacti. They'd be growing up in the crotch of a tree somewhere where they had really very limited area to develop a big root system. So the only thing that happens with some, with Christmas cacti growing in pots is either if you have a cruddy potting soil that's beginning to deteriorate can damage their roots or sometimes they get so root bound that they're just drying out faster that you, then you can keep them watered in which case you might water a pot. But otherwise, if they're happy, don't upset the, you know, the okay. ox cart or whatever they say. Uh, just keep on doing what you're doing and pat yourself on the back. Okay. A couple of years ago, I noticed, and they've fallen off now, on each plant there was one, you know how the prickly pear have that pear? Yeah, well, right. They had one of those on them. It's very unusual but not unheard of. That would be a seed okay. pod. Oh, that was a seed pod? Yes, ma'am. Hmm. Okay, okay. Now, because where we don't have rock, we have caliche. Where uh-huh. we don't have caliche, we have rock. <laughs> How can we get some? Well, well, Bermuda. Can you just throw Bermuda grass out, or you can if you're looking to make a lawn grass. But right, um, if you're if you're just looking, there are native grasses that are more adapted to caliche, but they're not something you can mow and manicure. But uh, yes, Bermuda seed is just uh, broadcast. Um, and you wouldn't want to do a lot other than perhaps putting down a good organic fertilizer, but you don't want to put down compost. You don't want to do things like that before you plant. Once your Bermuda is up and growing, then you can go back and top dress with compost and you can do things to start building the soil, but uh, still too early to put out Bermuda grass. If I were wanting to do that, I'd be putting out some organic fertilizer and then probably two or three weeks from now, we'll just have to watch the weather. I'd be planting my Bermuda seed. Okay. Now, because there are some native grasses growing, but mm-hmm. like you say, you can't, uh, will, will you have to take those out or will the Bermuda grass take, them o- take over? The Bermuda grass, more than anything, the mowing that you're going to do will knock out the native grasses. They don't like to be okay. mowed, uh, but okay. you don't have to do anything. Just get your Bermuda going and uh, let them fight okay. it out. Okay. All right. That's what I wanted to know. Thank you very much. Good questions, Rita. Enjoy your program. Yeah, well, thank thank you you so much. And uh, I'll move on to Kevin. Good morning, Kevin. Hey, morning, Bob. How you doing? I'm great. How about you? I'm doing all right. Good. Uh, Okay. I got kind of a beginner houseplant owner question here. (laughs) Very good. We went to your uh, seminar a few weeks ago, Uh and um, Heather, she was great. And... um, uh, we bought a Janet Craig, is it Dracenia? Dracenia, yeah. Uh-huh. Dracenia, okay. The one with um, the broader leaves, or did you get the little Dracenia Janet Craig compacta? Oh, man. Um, Are the leaves six like, inches long or 16 inches long? Oh, like six inches long. Okay, you may have gotten a compacta, but tell me tell me what the question is. Okay, so, um, you know, when we when we bought it, we were talking with Heather and, and trying to get an idea of, of how often to water it. And I've been feeling the, um, you know, the soil was uh-huh. kind of hard to do because it's that different kind of mix. Right. Um, but, uh, she mentioned when we bought it, you know, about the end of April is when she expected would be the time to water it. So would they here we're at the end of April and we're going to water it for the first time and just kind of some procedures. So, you know, it's still, it's in the pot we bought it in. And so what we're going to like put it on, I think she said, put it on like a saucer and, Mm-hmm. put the water in until it comes out into the saucer and then wait and see if it soaks it up. 
I just wanted to see if you could go over that again a little bit. Well, what I always tell people on, well, really on any plants, but especially on house plants, is there's no such thing as too much water, but there's too often. So uh, when you water, um, just do the best you can to absolutely flood it. You can uh, you can put it in a saucer and let it uh, drop what water it will. You can put it in a saucer and drench it very thoroughly. You can set it outside and turn the hose on it. You're, you're not going to ever hurt anything as far as the plant's concerned. It can be hard on carpet and tile, but uh, uh, you want to really flood it when you water it and then let it go until and it is uh, these things come uh, actually come from hawaii and they're in a volcanic uh rock material now yeah i would have probably started watering it a little bit sooner i always figure if a plant's getting adequate light it's going to need water a minimum of every two weeks but uh, and it's been like three weeks since we did the house plant seminar mm-hmm. so Um, you know, if nothing else, you can actually judge by the weight of the pot when it begins to dry out a bit. But if it's getting adequate light, just, you know, kind of rub that lava sand back and forth a little bit and feel when you can no longer detect any moisture, it's time to water. And, uh, like I say, you don't have to worry about too much. You just have to worry about too often. But, uh, Mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't have let it go quite this long, but if the plant's looking good, obviously everything's fine. Well, yeah, it it does look good, and and I every once in a while, you know, I go over and and feel around in the that volcanic rock that you're talking about, and I don't know, I guess I'm still getting my finger calibrated. I, I don't know <laughs> well, it it, it takes a it takes a little while, and uh, like you say, as a a beginner with house plants, you picked one of the best plants you could possibly choose, and okay. uh, it will if it's not getting the water it needs, you'll see some a little bit of browning on some of the tips, and uh, mm-hmm. um, I mean they can. That Janet Craig compactly can take a lot of of abuse and still come back and be beautiful for you. But just just keep working on getting that finger calibrated. And uh, <laughs> sounds to me like you're doing like you're doing okay, Kevin. Um, and then just one other question: When I water, I'm going to water it today. I have you know some garage use or has to grow. I mean, should I put any of that in there? Uh, has to grow would be a good idea. Has to grow plant. I'm sure it could use. Uh, Garrett juice, uh, probably not necessary if you just want to add a little splash of it, but it is not a fertilizer. It does a lot of different things, but I'd be using the has to grow plant and uh, maybe just a little splash of Garrett juice, and I'd be using that about every third time you water. Oh, perfect. All right, Bob. Well, thank you very much. My pleasure. You keep talking, and uh, if, when, if you've got any questions, it's what we're here to help. We want you to, uh, I won't say become an expert, because I define an expert as a person who's killed a thousand plants, and I don't want you to get there, <laughs> but I want you to become a more experienced grower of houseplants, so you holler at me anytime we can help. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate it. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Stanton and Mike and Scott and Frank in that order. Good morning, Stanton. Yes, how are you doing? I'm great. How about you today? Oh, couldn't do any better, I don't think. That's a great way to start the day. Yeah. Hey, we just moved about two miles northwest of Comfort. Okay, congratulations. Pretty area. Yeah, it's gorgeous. But we're looking to put in a orchard, and we were thinking peaches, plums, apples, and maybe some satsumas. And we're looking for recommendations of the type, and if you could suggest any other uh, uh, trees. 
Well, there's some other good trees. Uh, Satsumas, I'm... Uh, unless you're going to build a greenhouse that you could drag them into, Satsumas, you're pretty much pushing their northern limits. They're cold-hardy okay. down in the low 20s, but north of comfort gets colder than that, uh, unfortunately, pretty often. Now, peaches, I'll just uh, tell you, you'll, you're going to be wanting to look, in, to look for peaches in the chilling range, which is your important thing, of around 750 hours of chilling on the peaches. Uh, you can grow very good plums. But uh, you're going to have to learn how to prune them. We can talk about that another time. You can grow excellent pears if you like pears. Now, we don't have soft pears that do well in our area because of a problem called bacterial fire blight. Uh, You can do extremely well with figs. Um, Apples, you can try a few, but don't get carried away on apples because cottony root rot is still a problem in the hill country. But if you want to plant two or three of them, that would be fine. The Asian uh, persimmons, uh, the Fuyu, the Taninashi, Eureka, Hachia, they're, uh, Asian persimmons would be a really good thing for you to grow there if you like them. Don't grow anything you don't like. But um, those would be things that I think would do very well uh, in your in your orchard. But I'm going to pretty much stay away from the satsumas, and I'm going to be very limited in the number of apples I make I, I plant because uh, they're going to have uh, the potential for more problems. Okay. Can you recommend uh, a variety of plums and peaches? Peaches, you'll need at least two trees. Uh, Melba, which is a white-meated peach, will be one of the sweetest peaches you could ever plant. Uh, June Gold, which is a yellow clingstone, but a very, very juicy, tasty peach. Uh, Those will be two good varieties to start with. Uh, As far as plums... I probably need to plant one methylene. It's a great pollinator for other plums. And then for a second plum, uh, I might think about uh, planting either Santa Rosa or Bruce. Those are probably the top three plums, or methylene, Santa Rosa, and Bruce plums. Uh, Plant at least two, and uh, any of those should do very well for you. Okay, good. Well, we're headed over to Fanix on Monday, so hopefully we can get the things uh you suggested i think they do very well one more question uh our north acreage uh is pretty well seeded in wildflowers it looks pretty good okay it's you know all natural ones but when would be a time to overseed that and add some more best time is going to be early fall uh, I mean, Mother Nature is dropping the seeds right now. Right. But with wildflowers, the problem is that if we end up with a wet summer and then a dry fall, the things sprout in late summer and then they die when they don't get the moisture. So we typically plant wildflower seeds uh, late September, October, even early November because our chances of fall rains are much better and the moisture needs are not as great at that time. So um, the fresh seed, and you're always going to want to use hill country seed, not, not Colorado seed. Fresh seed should be on the market by the middle of July, but just buy it. Put it in a in a warm, dry place and plant it um, late September. Late September, early October, I think would be about the best time. And you you just broadcast it. Yes, ma'am. Okay, very good. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Stanton. And congratulations on your new place. Are you still in Kendall County? Uh, no, we're just 
Half a mile. <laughs> okay, well, very good. Well, you know, if uh, one of the my elective job is serving on the water district up there, so if you ever have water questions, know that the Cal Creek Groundwater Conservation District is there to help you if you need as well. So uh, uh, you enjoy Kendall County in the Hill Country, and let me go ahead and get Mike on now. Good morning, Mike. Morning. Morning, sir. Couple questions on the uh, vinegar. Down here, we only have like 5% acidity. I haven't been able to find it any higher. Uh, you should be able to find 9% under the name pickling vinegar. Your grocery store should have pickling vinegar, and that should be up to 9%. Pickling, okay. If not, I gather you have it, right? Uh, we do keep the 20% vinegar, but it is you know substantially more expensive. Start with the 9% and see if it does okay. the job for you. All right, fantastic. And I might have asked you this question in the, in the past. Um uh, the uh, Arizona ashes uh-huh. that I have, right? I went and built like a little, uh, uh, what do you call it? They call them, uh, how do they net us down here? Uh, you know, cement block to mm-hmm. keep the water in there at the base. Uh, um, and that's where I usually throw all my uh, grass and uh, leaves and stuff, you know, to start breaking down. Sure. Since it's uh, pretty you know, limited in space. It's not that big, you know, maybe uh, four feet or, yeah, about four feet by four feet. Uh, so the in, inside space is uh, not that big to fill up with this stuff. But uh, would it be getting too hot for the base, you know, the trunk of that tree? No, but it would be bad for the tree for other reasons. You you don't want anything around the trunk of that tree above the ground level. Um, if you want to do that for moisture, what you're going to need to do is create an inner ring, so to speak, so that your bed's going to be more like a donut with a hole in the uh-huh. middle because uh, you do not want that stuff piled up on the trunk above the root flare. So um, uh, you're going to need to make it happen. It'll die. Ah, uh, huh. You'll be it'll be much slower to grow. It'll be much more susceptible to problems, and you will significantly shorten the lifespan. A tree's trunk above the ground level does not contain the waterproofing agents, the suberans, lignans, pectins, things like that. Uh, Mother Nature intended for air to be circulating around the trunk. Intended for the roots near the trunk to actually be up, you know, above ground in the air. And when we uh-huh. start uh, when we start covering things up, we first thing we do is reduce the vigor of the tree. The second thing that starts happening is the trunk starts rotting from the outside in, and the critical, the most critical portion of the trunk of the tree is just under the bark. It's the tissue that is called phloem, spelled P-H-L-O-E-M, if you want to look it up, and that uh-huh. is the tissue that takes the nutrients that are produce the the sugars and things that are produced in the leaves through the process of photosynthesis and sends them down to the roots. The roots may absorb water. They may absorb chemicals from, you know, the fertilizers, but uh, they don't have any energy. Their only source of nutrition, so to speak, comes from the leaves. And when you start messing up that phloem tissue, and like I say, it's just right underneath the bark, when that starts uh-huh. rotting away, then you're cutting off the root supply or the nutrient supply to the roots, and all of a sudden the tree just folds up and dies on you. That can take several years for that to happen, but once it starts going downhill, there's no bringing it back. Oh, boy. 
good thing I asked you then. I guess I'm I did not ask you. I'm very glad you did. All right. That's it, Bob. Appreciate you again. Well, as always, it's good to hear from you. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll talk again. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. It's going to be a beautiful day in Central and South Texas. It's just a gorgeous spring day. I have two quick questions. The first one is I have a approximately four-year-old climbing rose bush that's seven feet wide, seven feet high. It's growing like crazy. It always has. But what happens after the bloom, and it bloomed a month ago, Uh all the buds just kind of limp over, dry up, and the next blooms never come. They're still kind of curled up in the... I'm not a rose person. They just kind of curl up, and they never (laughs) bloom again. And right next to that is uh, not a climbing rose, but uh, another rose that does very well. And next to that plant is uh, several rock roses. So I'm not sure why this rose only blooms one time, and that's it. Well, um, first of all, the rock rose isn't really a rose. We'll talk about that in a second. But uh, that's the nature of climbing roses. Uh, they bloom one time. Uh, there are only a handful of climbers that rebloom. Most of them are just simply you get your flowers in the spring, and that's all you get for the year. Now, the other thing about climbing roses is that they bloom on wood that grew last fall. So you can't do any pruning on them until after they bloom in the spring if they if they need pruning and i'm not sure they do but um if you have to do any pruning uh don't do it before they bloom or you'll have even less flowers but it is the nature of climbing roses to not be rebloomers whereas many varieties of bush roses uh, will bloom continually through the summer months now one thing that probably would help that climbing rose uh, in starting in early spring, every couple of weeks, spray it with a liquid garlic material. You spray early in the day. If some of those buds are, you know, as you say, going limp on you and not opening, you probably have a little insect, a nasty little thing called a thrips insect that actually gets inside the bud and keeps them from opening. Uh, something as simple as the garlic spray will stop that. Spray two or three times before the first buds open, and you'll have a much healthier plant you'll extend your blooming a little bit but uh it's just the nature of climbers that they they only bloom once in the spring oh that's very interesting we're on google trying to find the answer we thought maybe there was some type of bug but i expected the leaves and i haven't found anything (laughs) don't know okay don't don't trust google but i think if you broke a bud open and if you have good eyes you'd see these little they're kind of an orangish uh tiny little things scampering around you probably put 10 of them on the head of a pen those are called a thrips insects and they actually destroy the bud from the inside out even though they're almost microscopic but they hate garlic garlic is taken up if you spray early in the day um, you will not have aphids you will not have thrips oh interesting okay don't don't trust don't trust the internet (laughs) trust somebody that's done it for years that's why i'm called appreciate Um, it the second question is um my crepe myrtles, uh, usually in August, they're so full of aphids, the leaves turn brown, uh, are dark color, and drop. So I thought I'd get ahead of the game and put the uh, the soapy solution on there. Is it too early to do that now? It's a little early. Um, what I would like you to do is look at your crepe myrtles and see if you can actually see the trunks broadening out at the ground level. About 99% of the crepe myrtles sold and planted are buried too deeply in the ground, which stresses the plants. I've seen crepe myrtles that were a foot too deep. And what I'd suggest you do is get out with, um, you know, a little hand trowel, get out there with uh, a hay rake, 
uh, whatever it takes. Start pulling the soil back away from the uh, base of your crepe myrtles until you get down to where you see the first major roots starting to come out to the sides. And uh, you need to keep that, we call it the root flare, you need to keep that exposed. If you will do that, you will have far fewer problems with aphids because aphids are a sign of stress. And being buried too deeply is the most common thing on crepe myrtles. Uh, that causes that problem. And like I say, only about 99% of them uh, are buried too deeply. Oh, very good. All right, thank you. Have a great day. You do the same. And um, like to say, if you if you get that root flare exposed, you will see very few aphids. Uh, if you do start having aphid problems, you call me back and I'll tell you uh, uh, exactly how to control them without using any toxic stuff. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. You're welcome, Scott. Thank you. Frank's up next. Good morning, Frank. Hey, morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Um, I just got a couple questions. My roses just bloomed, just beautiful, um, and now the uh, blooms, of course, they're they're gone, going away. Uh-huh. Do I do I need to cut off those little buds that are stuck, that are still left there, or just leave everything alone? And that's up to you. Um, if you oh. want to cut them back slightly, you can. Uh, what you're seeing there uh, are typically called the hips. H-I-P-S, the hips of the roses, and uh, many times they become colorful. They're loaded with vitamin C. Some people actually make a tea out of them, but um, you're not really going to speed up any more blooming or anything by cutting them back. You make the plants look a little neater, but uh, the, the plant itself could care less. I would fertilize them. I would increase the mulch over the roots, but uh, beyond that, just let them do their thing, and hopefully there are a variety that will come back into bloom shortly for you. Okay, and the next question is, we've been here uh, right at 40 years, and uh, the guy was cutting, you know how they come by and want to cut your trees and everything. And he, <laughs> yeah. he, he came by and, and uh, he told me that um, my Arizona ash, they uh, lived 35 years or, or about, and they're getting ready to die. And so I'm just kind of scary. Mine are like 40 foot tall with huge limbs over the fence and some <laughs> near the house. And I was wondering about that. Is that right? You tell him that if uh, if, if you're threatening my ash trees, you're about to die. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding about that. Uh, Arizona ash trees are not super long live, but with good care, they they can make it to 40 or 50 years. Um, you do your part, which means fertilizing, not burying the trunk. Uh, you're going to have to put up with those roots on the surface of the ground. And when, not if, but when we go into real droughty conditions, you'll have to give them a little supplemental water. But how do the trees look now? Are the leaves healthy? Uh, do you have a lot of dead wood in the trees, or do they look like good trees? No, not, none at all. All the limbs are uh, real pretty green. And um, Now, when we have those high winds, sure. some of the, then it blows off some that look like they're little bus. Yeah, they'll... You know, if you told me 45 years, I'd say I'd be starting to get a little concerned if they were towering over my house or my car. But um, that's just like telling somebody, you know, you're 70 years old, you're you're not going to live much longer. Well, I've got too many friends that have lived to be well over 100 years old. So your ash trees are the same way. You're keeping them healthy. You've got another good 10 to 15 years to go uh, before you start really having to worry about them. 
Um, and then they they kind of warned me by, you know, limbs not uh, leaving anymore or something like well, that. Well, you'll start having more dead wood in the trees. Uh, the trees will just start. Uh, it's sort of a gradual decline they go into, but uh, uh-huh. you give them good supporting care. They're they're going to go on a long time now, you know. it's uh, Okay. And I, I can only guess what this guy was trying to sell you. He obviously probably wanted to sell you. Uh, tree destruction of some sort, <laughs> but it's yeah, yeah. He said, "Well, my tree's so big and the limbs so far, it, it'll cost about thousand dollars to cut them down." And I said, "Well, then wait till they die, you know." <laughs> yeah, and and take your take your take your false story somewhere else to spread around. And uh, I'm glad you called me, but you stop worrying about those ash trees now. Not to say we couldn't get a tornado or something else and, and ash trees. I would not plant another ash tree, but they're there. Enjoy them and stop worrying about them. I think so, Bob. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. You can have a good day. You too. Bye. Good morning, John. Hi, Bob. I have a couple of simple questions for you. <laughs> well, I look forward to helping you. Okay, the no drive me crazy, and it was recommended to me to try the diatomaceous earth or DE powder. Don't think diatomaceous earth is going to do anything against no Um Okay. They're little what midges. The I w- I'm, I'm sorry? What about in the garden on potato leaves and stuff like that? Um, I think you will find that either a garlic spray or a cedar oil spray will probably do more good. Um, be careful on your cedar oil. You don't get it too strong. But um, I think those are, diatomaceous earth is a great product for creatures that have hard body parts like ants and beetles and things because it works by, in effect, cutting up and uh, causing these creatures to dehydrate. But noceums are basically are soft-bodied things that uh, I, I just don't think the – I love diatomaceous earth for some uses, but I don't think it's going to do the job on noceums. Okay, and then a follow-up question on my red potatoes. I'm growing a red and then Adirondack blue, I think you call them. Okay. They're like a purple potato. Yeah. I, I harvested some. My red potatoes I planted, well, I planted both species uh, February 1st. Okay. The first week of February. The red ones are already dying back, and it looks like they're being, the leaves are being eaten, but they're turning yellow. The Adirondack blues are, are still growing like crazy, and I've, I've harvested, like, the little ones, and they're great. Yeah, yeah. Both, both sides. How long should I keep the Adirondacks growing and the red uh, as the leaves start to fade and turn a fainted green? Uh, just leave them in the earth until I feel like picking them? Or how long will they keep growing? Well, I'm surprised that your red ones are not doing well. Uh, I suspect that they have been staying a little too wet with some of the rains. Be sure you're not creating an issue by putting too much additional water on them. Um, they don't last, uh, the reds do not last a real long time. Once the plant dies, they'll probably be good in the soil for a couple of weeks. But, um, I mean, some of your white potatoes, uh, Kennebecs and things like that, they can stay in the ground much longer. But once that 
top of the plant is really starting to die you need to go ahead uh dig your potatoes clean them and store them in a in a cool dry place and that way they'll keep a while but the red skin potatoes just simply do not keep well in the ground so um, maybe give them a little fertilizer maybe be sure that you're not supplementing the water on those and see if you can coax them a little bit longer because they really ought to go on growing for another month or so before they start folding up well, it's not all of them. It's just a couple of them yeah. are yellowed out. Well, uh, when they yellow out, go of, ahead and dig them. What kind of fertilizer do you recommend to put on those potatoes? Uh, as a yeah. liquid, you could use either Espoma or has to grow as a granule. I think you're a little late for using granular fertilizers. I think the I'd, I'd be either looking for the Espoma liquid or one of the two Medina liquids. Okay. Thank you very much. You are certainly welcome. Thanks for the call this morning. Goodbye. All right, let's finish up here with Lloyd. Good morning, Lloyd. Good morning. Hey, uh, that uh, siphon fertilizer you were talking about. Right. Do you have a a name for it or where where it could be purchased? Uh, Any good nursery should have them. I think that they're still called Siphonex, S-I-P-H-O-N-E-X, and uh, it's a little brass uh, it has male and female hose threads. Uh, you screw it, obviously, onto the hydrant. Um, or if you've got a real long hose system, you put it between the last two hoses. But you screw it on. It has a little roughly 3-8-inch diameter rubber hose that you just drop down into your concentrated solution. Um, they cost, I want to say, 12 or $15. They're not very expensive. But just about any good nursery should have them. Okay. And can you use that, like, uh, with the Medina has to grow in a drip system? You, well, the thing, you can't use anything that puts a lot of pressure back through the hose. You can't really put them on an impact sprinkler. Um, it would depend on how much pressure you've got as to how they would do on a drip system. Now, there are injectors uh, for drip systems. They're a little bit more complicated and a little bit more expensive. Uh Call S.A. Rainmaker if you want, and and talk to John out there. He would tell you what would work best with your drip system. Uh, The hose on, they they mainly are just where you're watering with a hose. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure, and, um, well, we'll talk again. Yeah, the little siphon mixers, I first got introduced to them in high school. I had, like, 200 orchid plants at the time, and I was mixing my fertilizer in plastic jugs and taking me about uh, two hours to fertilize my collection. Somebody turned me onto the siphon mixers, and it cut the job down to about between five and ten minutes, and uh, I've been a big fan ever since. But that's the one thing about those uh, about the uh, the siphon mixers is you cannot you can't use a real powerful nozzle on the end of the hose it really puts a lot of back pressure because uh, the siphon mixer does re- rely on that that steady flow of water through the hose is what creates that venturi effect and mixes fertilizer in so uh, they're not perfect but where you just uh, have a breaker nozzle on the end of the hose or something they work extremely well and let me tell you what they are really really big time savers